0: This episode is brought to you by The Message, a new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'll be following a team of elite cryptographers as they decode a highly classified radio transmission. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. The Message
1: on iTunes.
0: In this episode, we may have used a few words that you don't quite want in your children's vocabulary yet.
1: You've been warned. Boom, boom,
2: boom, ah, boom, boom. Instead of asking somebody what's your passion or what's your job or what do you do, instead ask them what are you doing when you're in your flow? What are you doing when you're not checking your phone and you're so present and your mind isn't wandering? What are you doing? For me, it's making music, it's running, and it's also talking about feminism and and also the music business. Like Those are sort of my main places where I'm in the flow.
0: Welcome to She Does Podcast. I'm Sarah Ginsberg. And I'm Elaine Sheldon. And today, we'd like you to meet Kieran Gandhi, highly skilled drummer who's toured with MIA, marathon runner, free bleeder, feminist, and recent Harvard Business School
1: grad who's using all the above to change the music industry for music artists all over the world. Kieran has come to prominence over the last couple years about her thoughts on the music industry and feminism. She's given a TED Talk even about how she lives her life. But as a drummer, she's performed at Bonnaroo, South by Southwest, Pitchfork Music Festival, among many other international festivals. She recently played at Daybreaker in New York City. Here's a taste.
0: Since Kieran's a musician, it only made sense to have her soundtrack her own episode. All right, let's get started. Kieran is from New York City, and that's where she grew up, except for the three years her family
1: lived in Bombay. Her parents are from India. Both of them actually graduated from Harvard Business School, and both are humanitarians. Kiran's mother, Mira, is the founder and CEO of the Giving Back Foundation, which works to alleviate poverty through education, especially for women, all around the world. Kiran's father, Vikram, works in investment banking
0: and founded Asha Impact, which is a platform based in social entrepreneurship and impact investing
1: in emerging economies, like India's. In many ways, Kiran has taken after her parents, They're outspoken, active, and steadfast in their values. But the spark was lit further back in time, a bit deeper in the family's lineage.
2: My mom's actually half Irish. My grandparents are, my grandmother's completely Irish. My grandfather's Indian. To be honest, I was always just so into that fact. The story is that my grandmother was Catholic and kept dating this guy from India who would sail over in the Navy.
0: The two lovers continued to spend time together, until they were found out and told, You need to get married or, like, this is not okay. Kieran's grandmother was up for moving to India and building a life there with the person she loved, but only if she could take one thing with her.
2: The only thing that matters to me really is my Catholicism. Like, I can't lose my Catholicism. So they kind of made an agreement, like, okay, you move to India and then you can keep your religion. And it just seemed so radical at the time for her to marry, you know, in the 40s, someone who's Indian. I think that that's how I would describe my family, as like, very wholesome, and yet this kind of vein of radicalism.
1: The Gandhis made sure philanthropy and involvement in the community became values for Kieran and her two younger siblings.
2: We always had to volunteer, you know, in our school. We always had to make sure that we were thinking about the larger picture, like the impact of our actions on the world. And my parents were very, very committed to that. My dad was always obsessed with, like, being the leader or being the captain of the team. So he'd always encourage my brother and sister and I to like really challenge ourselves to run for leadership positions in school. Even
0: as a little kid, Kieran was encouraged to be bold. She remembers one specific Halloween. She was about five years old, and she and her two best friends, both boys, decided to be Power Rangers.
2: And they were both the blue and red Power Ranger as their costume, and I showed up as the Red Ranger because the Red Ranger's the leader. Like, he's the main dude. Working together to fight evil. You know, he's the one operating all the cool machinery, so that's the guy who I aligned with emotionally. They're like, why are you not the pink ranger? Why aren't you the yellow ranger? Like, fall back, basically. That was very profound in my mind. I remember, like, feeling really angry. I was like, what? Like, I get to be the Red Ranger? And that came from my dad pushing us to be leaders and not really think about gender.
0: It's always been so hard for me to wrap my mind around the idea of growing up in New York City. I know there are some experiences shared with kids that grew up in the suburbs,
2: like house parties. We would know exactly like how to move the furniture and then move it right back after the party
1: and make it look like nothing happened. But when it comes to music, it's completely different.
2: In New York, I could literally be 15 and playing in these cool clubs downtown um, that would just put big X's on my hand. And as long as I didn't try to drink, they were happy to have me play drums. So then, what happens is you become A, more confident, and B, more comfortable with yourself being taken seriously as a drummer or a performer in a real venue with like paying legit other humans. Take me Oh,
0: take me up. But New York isn't where Kieran first held drumsticks, it was at summer camp in Maine.
1: All roads lead to Maine.
0: Kieran wasn't so keen on the water activities at this camp in Maine. So one day, she ducked out and snuck off to the theater house, where she found an old drum set. As most curious 11-year-olds would do, she began hitting it, just playing around.
2: There was a maintenance man in the room as well, and he came up sort of behind me, and I thought he was going to kick me off the drums and report me. But instead, he was a drummer, and he started teaching me. So then every afternoon, I'd be like, yo, can I see you tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, totally, let's go.
1: Kieran was hooked on percussion, from high school to college, and she hasn't stopped.
2: Anytime that you listen to music, you know how like if it's a good song, you kind of move with it. You kind of like bop your head, you're like on the subway, so you're a little embarrassed to get that into it, but you're sort of, you can't help but get into it. To be able to play drums to a track, for example, or to other musicians music who make really beautiful, beautiful sounds and music. That's what that flow is about. It's just about feeling really in sync with something that you love and that you love playing. And so then you're just totally lost in it.
0: Along with the drums, Kieran recognized her love of numbers and calculations, politics, and gender equality. So she started to think about building these things into her career, her future.
1: She attended Georgetown University in D.C., where she double majored in math and political science and minored in women's studies.
0: While interning at the mayor's office during her sophomore year at Georgetown, Kieran stumbled upon Thievery Corporation, a band that is known for their activism and
1: progressive stance on various political issues. She was witnessing all the things she cared about most come together in one place, and it was inspiring. She got more into the music scene in DC and started working for Rhythm & Culture, a small record label.
0: After graduating from Georgetown, Kieran landed an internship at big time label Interscope Records in Los Angeles. But Kieran's always thinking ahead, and she was determined to get more out of this than your typical internship,
2: even if she didn't quite know what that was yet. Here's how I think about every like part of life. I always think, If I want to be part of this, I have to think of what I can contribute. That's the only way that I can participate. Otherwise, you're latching on to somebody else's success. Instead of me saying like, I want to work for you. The question is really, I should be saying, what can I contribute to you? I went through my brain and I was like, okay, I can contribute my drumming. I can contribute the fact that I'm a college student. That's not that unique. I can contribute the fact that I'm a math major. And I was like, wait a second, like, I bet they don't have that many math majors because a lot of math majors would rather go to much higher paying jobs either at NASA or at an investment bank or at a hedge fund. So what if I took that math major and used it in a totally different context, but in a context that I want to be in? How cool would that be? And that's kind of what happened. I got the d- digital marketing internship first. And then I told them that I was a math major and I literally said, use me. Like, I can stay here and I can run numbers for you and understand patterns in Spotify streams and YouTube views and Twitter mentions. And we can find a lot of amazing insights in-house. I wanna do that for you.
1: Kieran became Interscope's first ever in-house full-time digital analyst. As an analyst, she studied the performance of music videos, albums, and singles on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and Twitter in hopes of improving Interscope's marketing strategy and product launch methods. And it turns out she kind of made history. She calculated the first-ever internal benchmarks for analyzing an artist's online success based on their Spotify streams, blogs, YouTube search rates, and Twitter mentions. She also discovered correlations between Spotify's streaming rates and YouTube video search rates. So with her findings, Interscope was able to optimize their launch methods and to actually have artists' new singles and videos reach bigger audiences.
0: Interscope Records has a lot of big names on their label, one of which Kieran was a huge fan of, M.I.A. If you're not familiar with M.I.A., she's a well-known, from-the-ground-up recording artist, somewhere in the rap, hip-hop, world music genre. She was born in the U.K., but raised in Sri Lanka during the Civil War, and she takes risks with her music and the art surrounding it. She's not afraid to write about political, social, and cultural issues. And if you still don't know who we're talking about, we know you've heard paper
1: planes. I fly like paper, paper get, get high like planes, planes if you catch me at the No board. one is gonna. Please do not put this in there. What are we doing? We're wasting our time. No, <laughs>
0: let's just, yeah, I'll just play a clip.
1: Kieran attended Interscope meetings regarding MIA, and she even got to meet her when she came into the offices. But one day, Kieran suggested to the product manager, you know, MIA should have a drummer. The response she got was a suggestion to make her own video, showcasing her skills and personality. So this is what Kieran did, and it's
0: actually what you're listening to right now. But you've got to see it, too. Kieran in a drum set in the center of the frame with rainbow projections, just completely doing her thing. We've got a link on our website.
1: And can I mention at this point that she is the best drummer hair ever? An
0: email landed in Kieran's inbox the same night she sent the video. It was from MIA herself, saying she loved it. There weren't any tour plans at the moment, but she'd hit Kieran up when there were. Kieran was
1: over the moon. And then months went by, and Kieran found out she had been accepted into Harvard Business School. No biggie. She would start in August of 2013. But in June, another email appeared in her inbox.
0: And this is how Kieran became the drummer for MIA. It started with just a few shows, in the US, Canada, and Japan, all during the summer before school began. And then it turned into traveling and playing all over the world, on the weekends reading cases, and studying on the plane back to Boston, just in time for a Monday class.
1: At times, it got more complicated, and Kieran was bouncing back and forth between Boston and New York in the middle of the week, doing everything she could to make class, take midterms, be at rehearsals, and perform at shows. It's dizzying,
0: and honestly, stressful to think about Kieran's life at this time. But she thrived on it, and she kept it all together. And what came out of this pivotal time in her life was an approach to living to making decisions that are smart, beneficial, and fulfilling.
1: Kieran calls it atomic Atomic living.
2: So what happens is that in each of these amazing micro-interactions, I was thinking, if you make decisions based on what feels good to you...
0: Kieran said a lot about this, if you couldn't tell, and developed it into a methodology that she shares with audiences eager to learn.
2: You run into a friend, you know, and the friend's like, oh, Kieran, I haven't seen you in so long. Here she is talking
0: at TEDx Brooklyn in 2013
2: man, I haven't done laundry in a long time and I gotta, you know, send these emails and like today's the day I clean my house But I really want to go with this friend Atomic Living says you have to go as long as you sort of have a sense of what matters to you These decisions actually come quite naturally and even at Harvard. They keep trying to get me to do this like five-year plan What's your ten-year plan? I'm like, I don't know about all that All I know is that in this moment this thing over here feels so good. I have to say yes, and I'll figure it out as I go Atomic living is the ability to use spontaneity as a productive way to move forward in your life. And so what I do is I try to think of my current passions at the time. And right now it's really three focuses. Feminism, drumming, AKA creating music, and then the music business. Literally any kind of spontaneity um, that happens throughout the day, if it has the potential to nurture any of those three things or enable me to grow in any of those three fields, I always say yes. Anatomic living works both ways where there'll be days where nothing happens and that's okay good rest do your laundry It's okay. If the decision or the opportunity is too far from any of those three things I just say no and that's tough That's obviously tough because I want to do all, all sorts of random amazing things but Sometimes you gotta just stay focused and this is my way of focusing given that I have different interests
1: I have a question about that because I do a lot of different things as well. I do film and interactive media and all these different things and sometimes it's hard for people to figure out what i do like they don't know what to hire me to do when you're doing like consulting or freelancing sometimes it's kind of confusing that you do so many different things so i'm just wondering how you deal with that and how you sort of manage the fact that you're multidisciplinary which i think is a positive thing but often not very hireable i
2: love this and i admire this about you like you're my sister in that way you know it's like we're completely connected all I can say is consistency, you know, consistency. If, if you are scattered and that you're like always doing something completely unpredictable and completely like out of left field, that's not really atomic living, that's its own thing. That's like a really spontaneous, exciting, youthful time of life. But in terms of like career and building and working and doing stuff that you wanna make the world better, if you're consistent in the couple of things that you've decided or your passions, even if they seem completely different from each other, I do think people start picking up on it. Because I've been doing feminist stuff since I was at Chapin, my, my high school. And I've been drumming since I was 11. And I've been strategizing about the music industry since I lived in D.C. the past eight years of my life. So that's how I think people can start to understand you. Have there ever been
0: situations where you've put an offer on the table that kind of like use me situation, like use my skills, use my uh, experience. And the person that you're offering it to has kind of been like, uh, that's OK.
2: And how, how do you how do you handle rejection and, and how do you reroute your path? If they don't take it, you cannot be sensitive or upset or like immediately turn your back and say "F you." You have to say, okay, maybe now's not the time, but let's talk in a couple months. And there's been so many situations where just having that little bit of patience and just keeping the conversation open. Okay, now's not the time, no problem. There's probably other things that I don't even know about that's going on with you. It's less about me. It's probably about the larger piece. And I'm a very small piece of that. You don't have bandwidth. You're behind on email. I'm not at the top of the skill set that you're ready to have me. No problem. If you stay open and you really do wanna work with that person, I do believe it comes around.
0: This episode is brought to you by The Message, a new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography
1: think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s.
0: Have you listened to it yet? Not yet. Uh, We're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now,
1: Um, sounds like a no. Well, we don't really know what it is. Voices, music, breathing. But you know, I'm not going to mess with that thing. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. Subscribe to The Message on iTunes.
0: Between working at record labels, big and small, the world and playing to sold out crowds, receiving a business degree from a prestigious institution, consulting for companies like Spotify, and making music of her own, Kieran has gained a good understanding of the music industry. She knows where it used to be, where it is now, and where she wants to see it go.
2: But nostalgic thoughts make a young babe crazy. Imagine this back in the day, if you were making even three, four good songs, a label would say, Here's a budget of 50000 keep making. So it does have a pureness in that basically, you have an investor saying you're doing good work, keep going, the fans love you, keep making your stuff. But that does not
1: exist anymore. It's hard to navigate the murky waters of today's music industry. And most of the time, artists don't know what their options are or what path they should even take to make their art sustainable. But the sad fact is, Kieran says there really aren't clear revenue streams that an artist can pursue right now.
2: The main rhetoric in the industry today is Build your following by using recorded music free. Get millions of people on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, SoundCloud listening to you, caring about you, excited by your Instagram photos, tapped into your charismatic personality, and then we'll monetize all these fans because all these people love you and they'll probably pay for stuff now because they're addicted to you and what it is that you're doing. You, By being you are delivering value to these people. And that's much harder to do than we think. Even for me, I feel in the past two months, there's been a lot of conversation around the marathon and there's a lot of people who have liked my Instagram or, you know, followed me or whatever. But even I, as a business school student, would feel very uncomfortable turning around and saying, now buy my t-shirt, now come to my concert for $25. It, It feels exploitative. And most artists would share the same sentiment, which is that I want to make money, but these fans, it has a pureness to it. If I start charging them for shit, it's not going to feel pure anymore. So this is one of the biggest difficulties in the industry to balance is that art has a pureness to it that makes it valuable. But then when you start putting money on it, it corrupts it. So this fine line is a place that I personally try to like go between because I do have a business school degree and I've worked in the industry, but then I also have this like radical feminist art, shock culture brain that I value. And I think my journey is gonna be trying to reconcile the two and in doing that, providing solutions for the next generation to be able to do that.
1: So, How does this all work in terms of gatekeeping? Because we all know the music and film and media industry has massive gatekeepers, which often have very negative things associated with that idea of gatekeeping. But I'm curious if you can break down the role of gatekeepers in the music industry.
2: Gatekeepers are actually wonderful if they provide value to the ecosystem that they're operating in. So if they are able to provide artists with the technological platform to communicate with fans or to upload their art or to create something beautiful or to tell a story or to allow them to have really beautiful, meaningful impacts that they could not have without that gatekeeper, uh, without that financial support, if we're talking about a label. In the first case, I was actually talking about YouTube in my mind. If you know that the gatekeeper is delivering honest value and that they're not exploiting you knowing the fact that they've now delivered you that value, then the value of a gatekeeper is is epic and it's amazing. But cracks in the industry still exist,
0: even with the good gatekeepers. And Kieran has witnessed the bumpy road of the industry for musicians
2: and for women. She who goes first sets the rules. If you know that there's a solution that needs to be built, somebody else is going to build it. And when they build it, they're going to, by nature of being human, build it in a way that first benefits either themselves personally or like their own platform before it benefits anybody else. And that can be dangerous if you're not the one doing it. And I do believe that women don't build enough of the solutions that the world needs. And I do believe that women would do a fucking awesome job at it. And so they need that encouragement. They need that push. And I believe that maybe women would be gatekeepers for sure. But... We don't even know. We don't even know what like women run companies or women gatekeepers or women running big corporate companies. We don't even know really what that looks like because it doesn't exist on a large scale with diverse examples. It was four hours
0: and 49 minutes. That's how long it took Kieran to run 26.2 miles.
2: Running a marathon is so difficult, like, it's really hard. And I have never run a marathon before, and I never even, one year before that, could even run three miles.
0: In April of 2015, just before graduating from Harvard, Kieran completed the London Marathon. She ran to raise money and awareness for breast cancer care.
2: Boston, in my mind, really only has two things going on for it. Like, it has a lot of things, but in terms of what I resonated with, people get smart here and they get fit. Like, they're always running. So I was just trying to get smart and get fit. She trained hard,
0: running every day along the Charles River after class. And she'd only skip out when she got her period because running with a tampon in just wasn't for her.
2: And so when you get on the marathon course, you make the same decision. You're like, ugh, I didn't practice with that stuff. I don't want to run with a foreign object in my body. Chafing is real. There's no private places on the marathon course to change it out. I'm not going to run with an extra tampon like on my body like to then change it later. Like All this stuff is just... I didn't want to do any of it. It wasn't right for me. So she ran without a tampon. And it showed. And I knew it would be radical because I've never seen anyone free bleed. (laughs) But I went for it. And I never could have expected the reaction that it got. But it's obviously a problem that it was so
1: big. And as you would expect, Kieran got some rotten looks and pretty gnarly emails, even though she had just accomplished something incredibly admirable something that most of us will have never even come close to.
2: Well, one of the kind of funny ones was Dre's album came out called Straight Outta Compton. And so a lot of people put my face underneath Straight Outta Tampons. So that was one. (laughs) It's kind of hilarious. A lot of people emailed me and being like, you're a fucking nasty bitch. Like, you're a pig. Like, go back and eat curry. Like, I was like, what are you talking about? Uh, Did it get to you? On the first two days, it did. Because I have never, like, to have extreme concentrated amounts of attention in one person is actually very humanly like difficult to understand because I was getting so much from Facebook, Twitter, uh, emails, etc. But then, but then, I just thought about everyone who I've ever admired Gandhi, MLK, Catherine McKinnon, who's the anti-porn activist of the 70s and 80s and was my law professor in Harvard Business School that last semester. She literally lives in an undisclosed location because her life is constantly being threatened. So when you're doing real shit, you only are doing real shit if you really piss a lot of people off. My own boss at Interscope, she used to say, may the bridges I burn light the way. I was like, amen, sister, amen. (laughs) So that's it, that's it. You know you're doing something real when you really make people uncomfortable and angry. You know, it's not about me, that's the thing. It's like, if you have that strength to be like, oh, there's something real here that can make a better world for a lot of people. As long as I'm strong enough to take that anger towards the name Kiran Gandhi, I can just disintermediate myself from it and be like, oh, that's just, that's part of all the wins we're having.
1: The wins, the proof that it's all worth it for Kieran, are the articles and blog posts by women, recounting their own experiences with period shaming. People from all over the world were feeling empowered to find their voice and use it.
2: In the Western world, in the developing world, women from Croatia, I've Skyped them. A young girl from Pakistan, I've been direct messaging with her. Two girls from both England and Iran emailed me this past weekend. Fathers, fathers have hit me up and said, I'm happy that my daughters will be growing up in the world that you uh, you know, are creating. It's just, like, overwhelming.
1: Cosmopolitan, The Independent, People, New York Magazine, they all wrote about Kieran's marathon story. She even got some love from Abby Jacobson and Alana Glazer of Broad City, a web series picked up by Comedy Central that uses humor to talk about taboo topics. Take that, haters. Yes, queen!
2: Yes, queen! Yes, queen!
1: The marathon, to me,
2: represented legitimacy and, like, self-worth. We as women i should just speak about myself i as a woman internalize a lot of insecurities that are constantly thrown at us from society so even getting into harvard business school i was like oh well i got in because i'm diverse or i got in because of this we have that imposter syndrome where we feel like we're not we just got a golden ticket because harvard has a quota to fill you know you feel that even if you don't want to even if you're like no i'm my gmat was awesome i'm awesome i was a math major you make up reasons and you feel oh maybe i'm not legit and in my drumming, there's hundreds of thousands of drummers who are so much better than I am. And then I'm like, oh God, well, I only got the MIA gig because I look a certain way. Or, you know, I just was having these insecurities. But the thing that I was so obsessed with, with the marathon, with running, is that you can't lie. A run is a run. An eight minute mile is an eight minute mile. If you run 26 miles, you've run 26 miles. Like there's no, it's no one else judging you. It's no one else like looking at your application. It's not having a connection to someone that got it. It has nothing to do with your past or your future, it's just you've done it in the same way another marathoner has done it. There's no, it's just a level playing field.
1: Kieran is a leader in this movement, along with other women like Gloria Steinem, who she's been meeting with. They're fighting for a shift because what she'd really like to see is more women moving forward.
0: Kieran is confident in her experience, and she's well-versed. She feels equipped to handle, through communication, what comes her way. And as we've all seen and heard,
2: she's handled it all so well. She credits her education for this. Business school teaches you to look at like a whole wide array of like really complex, disparate information, the business background of the um, industry, that the state of the industry, the finances, data points, all sorts of different things. And you need to take that information, synthesize it and then spit out like what your recommendations are or like how you would move forward or what you think about this or what you think the most important thing in this whole story is. And to do that for feminism, for explaining why radical shock art and shock culture is needed to move society forward, to ground it for people, to explain to me that seems nebulous and unimportant and explain the importance of it. I got that from business school, for sure. Most of my time when I was writing as a feminist in college is that, A, you're just, like, writing by women for women. You know, you're just, like, jacking each other off in the women's studies department, like, really happy that we're in this amazing feminist community. The other problem is that it's longer-winded. At least my pages were always so long. It took me so long to explain why something was important. And business school helped me to sharpen it up. And when I would speak to BBC, for example, or the New York Times, like I needed to give the clear sound bites as to why period shaming matters. And this is like, you know, me being a little bit more personal. I think a lot of times women, at least for me, I feel insecure about different things. If I tell a group of men like my feminist beliefs, you know, I may not think they'll resonate or get it. And I feel insecure about that. I want them to get it weirdly unfortunately we live in a society where it depends who's saying it it could be identically the same sentence but if obama says it versus a poor child versus putin versus an artist versus whoever it just is different and that's a problem so for me the way i thought about it was like if i have worked really hard in these other fields of my life i better say whatever the fuck i want all the stuff that i've been afraid to say i need to say it for other people whose words are not listened to. You know, because unfortunately, society will listen to a Harvard grad and say, oh, well, you must be smart. So I'm very cognizant of that. And that's how I see my Harvard degree as a platform to be able to go for it safely, because I know no one's going to say anything. So I have that power to say what old people around the world constantly want to say. I know that feeling because when FKA Twigs or whoever I love or MIA or whoever has a platform and says what I'm thinking about with my friends all the time, I'm literally like. Oh, we live in such a wonderful world. Like, thank God the major airwaves are saying what I have in my heart. Bring
1: me back. Right now, fresh out of Ivy League, Kieran is consulting for Spotify. And she's traveling all over, giving talks at conferences about period, stigma, and other deep rooted societal issues.
0: But remember, she's always building something bigger. She's been cooking up a little project of her own. She's just like a young, bossy, busy lady. And she's just like working. Meet Madame Gandhi. It's a musical project,
2: but it's also a persona, a mindset. She doesn't have time to put makeup on so that you feel like you can enjoy looking at me. Like, I'm, she's busy. And if she gets a chance to like do all that and shave her legs and like look beautiful, she will. She understands there's like performative value in that. But most of the time she's working. She's got her sleeves rolled up. She's the president. She's Madam President. She's Madam Prime Minister. She has this femininity in her power. Her power is not masculine. It's female power. And female power is so rare in the public either. We don't really know or understand what it looks like. Kieran is going to show us what this looks like. And she's extending an offer for you to do the same. It's about the young madams movement. Who are the young madams in your community? And find your own inner madam. What does she look like? What is she doing when she's in the flow? What is she doing when she don't give a fuck, right? Like that's a madam. So this, I'm really trying to find ways to unpack this idea in my music. And just as Kieran uses her degree
0: as a platform to say what others are
2: afraid to say, she believes music has the power to do that too. The most amazing thing about music is that it lives like light years ahead of where society is. And so then, if you wanna question something or shake shit up in your music, you can. You can just say whatever you wanna say. Because for all the people who get it and who are thirsty to question societal norms, they're basking in your music, it's healing them. It's healing them through shitty times in their day. It's healing them through feeling like they're the only one. It's healing them through feeling lonely or crazy. And then for those who don't get it, it makes them angry, right? A, you've planted a seed, whether they like it or not, to question their norms, their society, the way life is. And two, for them, it still makes them feel comfortable and safe because they can just be like, oh, that's just a music video. Oh, that's just a lyric. Oh, it's just music. It's irrelevant. It's not reality. So it's fine. So the music can keep on doing what it has to do.
0: Thank you to Kieran for taking the time to sit down and talk with us. You truly blew our minds.
1: Visit our website, shedoespodcast.com, to find links to Kieran's projects and her wonderful website, her talks, and more.
0: This show is a product of Slate's Panoply Network, and this episode was produced by us, Sarah Ginsberg,
1: and Elaine Sheldon, and sound design is by Billy Wraznick. You can find Sarah and I hosting conversations at Citizen Jane Film Festival in Columbia, Missouri on October 22nd, and the Magnum Foundation's Photo Symposium in New York City on November 1st. Visit our website for more information. Also, sign up for our newsletter so you can receive this information first.
0: This is the 20th episode of She Does. Yes, 20. That marks two whole seasons of this series and we're pretty happy about them.
1: And we think some of you are pretty happy about them too because we hear from you on Twitter and iTunes, which reminds us, if you haven't written a review for us on iTunes, please just go into your app leave a little five star review what you like about the show what you don't like about the show we're learning and we want you to help us learn more also we've done the math and if each of you give a dollar per show we can actually make this show work we talked about sustainable art today with Kieran, but we're not really sustainable right now we had our first ad today which we're really excited about so thanks ge but we really need your help to keep this going for next year so we're going to take the week off next week But just consider going to our website under the About page and supporting us. If you can't give financially, that is not a problem. We honestly just want your support in terms of emails and tweets. Let people know you like this show. And
0: to those of you who have already been supporting us, we see you, we hear you, and you warm our hearts. It really means a lot. Thank you to our partner, Filmmaker Magazine, to our talented illustrator, Christine Cover, and to our production accomplice, Elijah Case. And thank you for listening to She Does.